Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hello, and welcome to The Rest is History. When I agreed to do this podcast with Tom Holland... The one thing I dreaded was that on a Saturday morning I'd be dragged out of bed to do a podcast about some obscure medieval saint. And, lo and behold, that's precisely what we're doing in this special Rest is History podcast (laughs) about the life of St. Cuthbert. Now, Tom, please explain to me. He's not an obscure saint. He's the patron saint of Northumbria, and I think that most people, me, myself included, think that he should properly be the patron saint of England. So it's big news that today is his saint's day. Um, he So this he is died, St. Cuthbert's day. Yeah. This is St. Cuthbert's day. He died 1,334 years ago. So that's AD 687 uh, on the 20th of March. A landmark anniversary. <laughs> landmark anniversary. And... Um, I think it's a big day. It's it's one of the favorite my favorite days of the year, and it's it started <laughs> off as a joke that yeah. um, Jonathan Wilson, who we had on our, our most recent podcast talking we about did. football, great football man. Those who've who've listened to it will perhaps recognise from his accent that he's a man of the northeast, and Cuthbert was likewise a man of the northeast, and so we uh, we got into the habit of of meeting with Jonathan and a few friends to to celebrate Saint Cuthbert to to, to toast his memory, um, and it's become a kind of annual occurrence. And actually, one of the reasons um, that I wanted to do it this year was that last year our celebration of Saint Cuthbert's Day was the first thing that got kiboshed by the lockdown oh, by the, the COVID tragedy. lockdown. Yes. And it kind of, it actually really, it, it, it really kind of, that was the first time that I felt, oh God, this is going to be weird. Um, both because I missed it, but also because, um, Cuthbert was, was a saint who, um, lived in a time of terrible plague. Um, the, the, the accounts of his life endlessly, it's kind of taken for granted. He'll turn up and a plague is raging. People will die of it. And he brought, incredible healing powers kind of supernatural healing powers but he also brought kind of comfort and concern so all right um let's get let's get to the nitty-gritty um what century are we in and what's the story basically we're in the seventh century and we're in um a north so this is before the kingdom of england this is when um uh, what will become england is divided up among rival anglo-saxon kingdoms um right. we are in the, the kingdom of northumbria yeah um and uh, it's a time when um, Christianity has come both from Ireland and from Rome. So it's and pre-Viking. Vikings it's pre-Viking. It's it's pre-Viking. Um, so it's it's um, it's a period when um, the old gods are kind of retreating. And in fact, in Bede's account of of Cuthbert, there's this kind of amazing detail where um, some monks are sailing out across the uh, across the mouth of the Tyne, and the wind blows up and starts blowing them out to sea, and a, a bunch of lads on the shore all start laughing and, <laughs> as they would, um, as they yeah, it's kind of Dark Ages viz, I guess. Yeah, um, and uh, Cuthbert says to them, you know, why are you doing this? Um, 
these poor guys are going to be swept to their deaths and they say well we we don't care because these these monks are are banishing our gods and we don't know what we're meant to do anymore and Cuthbert mm. kneels down and he prays and miraculously the wind changes and the monks are, are swept back in but there's a glimpse there of of what Cuthbert actually represents which is a kind of a revolution a process of revolution the introduction of christianity both okay. from ireland and from rome so this kind of mix but it's it's felt as radical but what you can what you see in the life of cuthbert is why christianity works why okay. it beds down so who is he where's he born he well, well ironically for a man who who comes to be associated with with the emergent kingdom of england he's actually born in what is now scotland he's a scot um, he's a Scott, he's not Tom. he's a northumbrian because of course the, the kingdom of northumbria reached all the way up to the firth of fourth um, okay so he's perhaps born in the vicinity of melrose perhaps dunbar somewhere around like somewhere that he seems to have been of aristocratic background um he's 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 described as a, a young boy who enjoyed his sport so, oh, so uh, no, uh, of course, sportsmen like you will will empathise with that. Well, I was kind of thinking, you know, the the, the grand sporting tradition of the northeast, because we've had both yeah. we, we've had Dan Jackson talking about that, Jackie uh, Milburn, previous, yeah, Cuthbert, all that. Um, Bobby Charlton, and uh, Cuthbert is described as playing a ball game. So maybe, maybe probably football, maybe cricket. Who knows? Who yeah, can't say. Good. But but he was he was he was clearly um, a, a kind of Gazaresque uh, <laughs> young young man. <laughs> That's not a comparison. That was <laughs> but and and then but then he has a kind of a, a conversion and right. um and what he he sees a vision of um angels uh, descending uh, and a great beam of light and then uh, a figure rising up to the sky and this figure he subsequently learns is 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 Saint Aidan, an Irish monk who has founded uh, a monastery on an island called Lindisfarne off the north. Ah, Lindisfarne coast. that'll be very well known. Um, to, and yeah. and. Um, Cuthbert decides that he is going to devote his life to Christ and he turns up at um, Priory of, of Melrose and we're told again by Bede that he arrives with a spear and on a horse. So that suggests that actually he's, a, a, he's quite well born. So, or that he's, why has he got a spear? Is he a soldier? Or yeah, do people because this, just is, carry this is a violent age. It's... This is a right. violent age. It's an age yeah. of plague and it's an age of war. And yeah. Cuthbert by abandoning his his horse by abandoning his spear is is essentially becoming a, a slave of christ and okay. he casts off all the privileges of his class he lives an incredibly ascetic life um mm-hmm. this is a man who in the middle of the night um goes down into the north sea stands up to his neck praying comes back up as the chill wind is whipping off the north sea in the early dawn kneels and isn't prays. that what people in and the then, north do on like new year's day and stuff they go for they dips do, to they show do, but their they, hardiness but they, they go for dips but they don't stand for hours at an end up to their neck but we're to, <laughs> th- there's this wonderful detail however that as cuthbert um is is standing on the shore sea otters come and they warm his feet and then they slip back into the sea. And this is kind of one of the wonderful details about Cuthbert. That, That's just a bit um, weird, this Tom. Is a, That's a bit this, weird. Well, but, but there's a lot more that, that Cuthbert is a man who he sees angels. He, yeah. he can heal the sick. He can banish fire. He can make the wind turn and he communes with the natural world. So sea otters come and warm his feet. Uh, eagles bring him fish when he's hungry. Um, he, 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 he can understand things from the pattern of the flying of the birds. And the, the truth is that, um, if you want a model for, say, Gandalf uh, or Merlin, or Merlin yeah. a, 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 a man who, 
has incredible an, an incredible power that is actually greater than that that he would have had if he'd remained a warrior okay but let me interrupt you tom so where where are we getting where are you getting all this stuff from i mean how do we is this sort of saints lives written down by monks or is it a chronicle or what exactly is it that you know well, and, and was it written at the time or is this some fable okay. told long afterwards so this is another reason why I thought it would be great to do it on this podcast, because in a sense, this is where the tradition that that this podcast and other history podcasts and people who write about history and yeah, you know, I like the fact this podcast this, this, has a tradition now. It does because because essentially it it, it begins with this because the, the one of the guys who writes about it is Bede, and Bede okay. writes the first great history of of what you might call the English people. And Bede writes this life of, of Cuthbert, but he's, and he specifies in his opening to it that he has researched it, that he's spoken to people who knew Cuthbert and that these are, are living traditions that he's writing down. Okay. And there's another, there's a, there's another life as well, which is earlier, which is also clearly written by someone who knew Cuthbert quite well. And I think what's, what's haunting about it is the sense of, of kind of, anecdotes and stories that have that, that they're clearly true there's clearly some kind of, that, that there are memories that are, are told of Cuthbert that have been kind of retold and retold so there's a story so Cuthbert um is closely associated with uh royal women who have become abbesses um okay. so so this is so so, so this is a, a period in which women have incredible sacral power as well um, okay. They're generally princesses. They're of, of the royal Northumbrian household. And there's one who has the brilliant name Alflad. Um, and she is the abbess of Whitby. And she she comes to meet with Cuthbert. And, and Cuthbert sits down at table with her, although he, he barely eats anything. He's incredibly ascetic. And as they're sitting at table, we're told, he suddenly has a kind of – he goes and has a strange fit. He He sits there and – Everyone's kind of staring at him, snapping their fingers in front of his eyes. Nothing happens. And then he wakens up from his trance and Alfred says, what's going on? And he says, someone, um, I, I, I was watching someone in your abbey going up to heaven. I saw angels come and collect his soul and take it up to heaven. And Alfred says, well, you know, who? And Cuthbert says, um, you will tell me tomorrow when I am celebrating mass. And so uh, Alfred sends off a messenger, um, gets told that it's a shepherd who's died. Um, and as uh, Cuthbert is celebrating mass, he comes to the point where you remember those who've died. Alflad bursts in, says, it's this shepherd. And Cuthbert <laughs> re commemorates him. So what's striking about that is both the intimacy that Cuthbert has with a very, very high-born Northumbrian royal. Yeah. But also the fact that they are talking about a shepherd. And it's hard to overemphasize the degree to which people of high status generally are not bothered with the death of shepherds. And so you can see exactly there, both the power of Cuthbert, but also why Christianity puts down roots so quickly. It has something for, for the elites, for, for those who are royal. Yeah. But it also has something for those who are, those who are poor. And we're told again and again that although Cuthbert commands the respect of those who are very powerful, he also always has in his mind those who are those who are poor those who are suffering and he is always concerned to make sure that they you know he, he can heal them give them food give them shelter whatever so he he's he's a very loved man i think how much is this though just basically um i mean there were established formulas for saints lives weren't there so how much is this right. just sort of recapping the traditional formulae for saints lives you know history 
in, in its early years, in its early centuries, followed set rules you know people behaved in certain ways emperors saints bishops kings yeah how is cuthbert different is cuthbert different or is this just basically following the traditional tram lines well um cuthbert is is bred of an age where holy men are vested with an incredible sense of power so this is also for instance on the other end of the former roman empire this is the age of Muhammad. um very yeah. kind of different tradition, but you can see bread of the kind of same matrix, perhaps. And so you're right that there are absolutely kind of traditions, specifically within the Christian one that, that, that Cuthbert embodies. But um, I think that, that what makes Cuthbert's um, reputation different is firstly what I was saying, that these lives are clearly written out of a sense of, of awe and love for him. And they bear the, the definite imprint of personal experiences uh, to, to a degree that I think is unusual in saints' lives. Um, and the other thing is that these lives are written because Cuthbert comes to have after after his life in death an incredible potency. Well, let's do that after the the break. Yeah. Maybe do you reckon we've done Cuthbert alive. We'll do after the break. We'll do his death and his afterlife, which is an amazing story. It, I think, in many ways, even more interesting than his life. So, yeah, let's well, do that. Well, that is something that is something for our remaining listeners to look forward to. <laughs> we'll see you again <laughs> after the break. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me, so I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is History. We are discussing the life of St. Cuthbert. It is St. Cuthbert's Day. Uh, Tom Holland is brimming with enthusiasm. We've been talking about St. Cuthbert <laughs> alive. Tom, so St. Cuthbert dies, and this is a big, this is the really where the story gets juicy, right? With St. Cuthbert's death. Yes. So a dead saint is a very valuable commodity. 
So the moment Cuthbert dies, beacons are lit. He's he's on a, a kind of Farn Island out out in the wilds of the North Sea, and his body is brought over to Lindisfarne, wrapped up, um, buried. And eleven years later, the monks look at the body, and it's fully preserved, miraculous. Um, that is miraculous. And the reason that they do that is that everything associated with Cuthbert has been doing amazing miracles. So his shoes cures people. His, <laughs> know, his comb cures people. Yeah. And a boldness, presumably. I'm sure. Yeah. The the, the body is in particularly potent. And over the course of the century that follows, it becomes a great object of pilgrimage because not just across England, but across the whole of Northern Christian, Northern Europe, people are coming to Lindisfarne to pray at St. Cuthbert's because it's, you know, it's the kind of the equivalent of a Pfizer vaccine. It's, it's that, that important. And that's and a hell of a journey, Tom. I mean, if you're coming from Frankia or something, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, this is like a massive expedition. And do you have any sense of numbers? I mean, are we talking? Are we talking dozens? Well, we the, the the measure the measurement the measurement of um how many people are coming is that Lindisfarne becomes spectacularly rich because every time right. they come, they bring an offering, and right. so you have this island off the North Sea, exposed, distant, absolutely stuffed full of gold and treasure, and of course, um, in seven nine three. This attracts the attention of uh, various gentlemen from across the North Sea, um, the Vikings. And the yeah. Viking Age begins with the sack of Lindisfarne. And they keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And they're coming back and for Cuthbert's loot, basically, for the loot that's been accumulated yes. yeah, from yeah. the tourist yeah. trade. And it all gets too much. And 875, so that's almost a century after, the monks are you know, fed up with this. And so they, they, they upload Cuthbert in his coffin and they transport it and essentially what they seem to be doing with that is that they they take it around all the various lands that the monastery of lindisfarne has come to 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 be given over the course of the century and they're taking the body as a kind of stamp so they're they're saying here you know here it is and this body continues to to do incredible miracles and what's interesting is that it seems to impress the vikings as much as as the native northumbrians um and so uh, in 883 there's a, a a king um he's actually formerly a slave a viking slave who becomes a king called guthred oh yeah i've read about him in bernard cornwell that's right so bernard cornwell writes about it in in a skeptical way um but but it's evident that that to everyone uh, Cuthbert's body is just the most remarkable, supernatural, terrifying thing that there is. And the body gets taken to York when Guthrid is crowned. And Guthrid gives all the land between the Tyne and the Tees to the body, to, to St. Cuthbert. To the body. Um, so, so basically for, for most of, um, you know, the, the, uh, the ninth century and into the 10th century, the guy who is ruling the lands between the Tyne and the Tees is a dead body. It's St. Cuthbert. It's the late St. Cuthbert. Brilliant. And any Viking, any Viking who gives uh, St. Cuthbert shit comes to a horrible end. So there is one Viking who tries to break into, um, in, in, into the shrine that's been set up at Chesterley Street, old Roman fort. Um, yeah. and, um, uh, the floor opens and the Viking gets swallowed up and, and goes to hell. And so after that, you know, people are not going to give Cuthbert any grief. Wow. And so what that means is that, um, <laughs> a dead body, is perhaps the most significant lord in 
10, early 10th century England. So, Tom, I can think of two really good parallels for that from either ends of the historical spectrum. So one, which some listeners may have already thought of, is the body of Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great dies you know, after all his conquests, and then there's a big tussle, isn't there, for his body. It's basically stolen by his, his mate Ptolemy, who takes it to Egypt. And the body of Alexander, which is sort of in, in you know, it's, it's buried with all sort of honours and stuff in, in, in Egypt, in Alexandria, is the sort of badge of legitimacy, isn't it? And bodies were a kind of badge of power and legitimacy. Except I don't, I don't think that um, Alexander's body does miracles. No, that's uh, right. I, I, and really, the, the thing with Cuthbert is that it, it... But he was a god. Yeah, yes, yes. Cuthbert but, wasn't even a god. Cuthbert was just a saint. Alexander was but, a god. But Cuthbert, Cuthbert is, is capable of miracles, and therefore that's the, the basis of his power. Um, okay. Although, interesting, with Alexander, I mean, there's this kind of wonderful theory that his body vanishes at around the same time that a, a Venetian flotilla arrives in Alexandria and steals the body of St. Mark. So I always love the idea that actually the body of St. Mark in Venice the is, of, is the body yeah. of Alexander, which would be wonderful. So here's my other example. Um, now, here, now the thing about St. Cuthbert you were saying was that his body was miraculously preserved intact after his death. And of course, there is a body in the world, which some listeners will have seen, which is miraculously preserved, of another revolutionary who is the sort of badge of legitimacy of a state, and that's Lenin. Have you been to Lenin's? Have you seen Lenin in I have, Red yes, Square? I have. Yes, I've threaded past it. It's yeah. very strange, isn't it, to kind of queue up and go into that mausoleum, which is designed like a pyramid. You know, it's got yes. this sort of pyramidical design. And he looks like Robin Cook. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a waxwork, isn't he? That's the extraordinary yeah. thing. They pumped it with so much, I don't know, formaldehyde yeah. or whatever it is. <laughs> that it's just this yeah. sort of weird plastic looking. And they have had arguments in the Russian parliament about whether they should just replace him with a resin you know, a resin copy, because basically the Lenin in, but that's the, that's sort of the same thing, isn't it? That the, the, the body has become an emblem of authenticity, a really weird sort of parallel. Yes, to, to, to a degree. So, um, the, the way in which possession of his body serves to legitimize a broader authority. So, th so that's why Guthred, the Viking king, is is patron of Cuthbert because it legitimizes him. But um, the the king who who really exploits this is Athelstan, the grandson of Alfred the Great, and the in first. a sense, the first English king. Yeah. Who um, he is riding up from uh, from Winchester to to smite the Scots who are in rebellion, and he pauses off in Chester Street and he he pays a visit to uh to Cuthbert and the grave is the, the coffin is opened and Athelstan leaves various uh gifts within the within the coffin. Um and, and Athelstan is very respectful of Cuthbert because Cuthbert had appeared to his grandfather Alfred on the Isle of Athelney. So everyone knows the story of um uh the, the cakes. Alfred burning the cakes. But there's another food related story uh, about <laughs> Alfred on Athelney that um uh, he's he's sitting there alone, feeling hungry, pondering how to defeat the Vikings. And he sent all his men out to go fishing because they're really running short of supplies. And his men are out there in the in in the, the shallows, not getting any fish at all. And a poor man turns up, hood over his his head, um, asks Alfred for uh, for some food. Alfred gives him the last bit of food that he has, and the man thanks him and then wanders goes off. Um, and then 
suddenly all the uh, all the men who are out fishing start hauling in great quantities of fish. And from that point on, they have no lack of food. And that, and that evening, man was uh, Cuthbert. That, it, was that, that, that man, it turns out, was Cuthbert. He appears to Alfred that evening in a dream and says that I will be backing you. I, I favour you. I'm going to back your house. Wow. And so, and so it's from that point on, Cuthbert becomes a patron saint of the House of Wessex as well as of the Northumbrians. And so for Athelstan, who's just annexed Northumbria into his realms, you can see it's incredibly useful. So to dig um, into that for a second, that's a story presumably created by Wessex propagandists because they want to, you know, they want to reach out to the kind of Northumbrian public and to say, you know, we're not conquering you. We are you know, we're, you, we're your friends. We really respect your saint. Your saint has, has actually chosen us. Um, that's, that's what's going on there, surely. I think that's a hard nosed 21st century perspective that okay. ignores the degree to which this was real for people. So of course, Athelstan is, knows full well that he needs to get the Northumbrians on side. And of course, he knows that by showing his respect to Cuthbert, he's going to get Northumbrian support. But Athelstan is a highly devout man and he would not be doing this. If he thought it was just a scam, he really believes this. I remember when I was when I was um, a student, I was studying the Byzantine Empire, having an argument with my tutor because I said, "But we know that icons don't have powers," and he said, "Well, no, you can't approach this subject, you know, thinking that thinking in that way." And my question to you is, you know, we think that all this is balderdash, basically. Did people at the time absolutely, completely believe? That you know, eagles had been providing Cuthbert with fish. Yes, that people had so. been. Did they? They yes. there was no hint of scepticism. They no, completely I think, signed up to this, but because otherwise he wouldn't have the power. You know, to have right. a body <laughs> successfully govern it, you, you, you have to. People have to believe that it's powerful. Okay, uh, and yeah. and I think it's it's it's. What's interesting is, is that the longer Cuthbert get, the more the emphasis comes to be on his power rather than on his charity. So this man who had spent a lot of time, um, with, with women, uh, comes to be cast as a misogynist. And w- when in due course his body gets enshrined in a great shrine in Durham Cathedral, um, mm-hmm. which is his final resting place, um, w- women aren't allowed to enter it. Um, and he becomes a great patron of, um, ultimately of, of English resistance to the Scots, even though Cuthbert was born within yeah. what becomes Scotland. He is seen as the patron of the English in their wars against Scottish invaders. And I think that there is, I mean, one of the reasons why I've, I'm, I do find Cuthbert a haunting figure is that I do, I do think there is a, you know, you say it's all balderdash, but there is something kind of haunting about, um, perhaps his body because you need I, I said that that Cuthbert embodies a kind of living tradition that I think is unique because he almost uniquely survives the Reformation because that's the great kind of break yeah when all the other saints are basically broken yes, up and they get I mean, literally up. broken up yeah yeah r- bunged on rubbish tips burnt whatever um Thomas Cromwell's agents arrive in Durham and they dis- they they get rid of the shrine the great shrine and they open up Cuthbert's tomb and and there they find that the body is it's there it is it's not a skeleton and please tell me it's not still preserved you're not going to make that claim it's been mummified so okay and i guess it's you know if you want to pursue the skeptical line you can say that's because he was such an asset no no it's because he was he was probably so ascetic that it naturally mummified that maybe there was no kind of liquids in it or i don't know um (laughs) That seems very but, unlikely. But but what we know is that um, Cromwell's agents were unsettled by this. 
And so they okay. remove the body and they, they kind of lay it out in a, a kind of side chapel for, for two years and then they bury it. So they, they, they put it in a, a fresh tomb and they bury it and it's, it's still there. So the, the body of Cuthbert is still in Durham Cathedral. His relics are still there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a link to, to that very ancient, the, those ancient beginnings of Christianity that simply doesn't exist anywhere else. And what's your case, Tom, for ditching St. George? Because that's what you want to do, right? You want to ditch St. George and you want St. Cuthbert. I mean, I think you've got a, an uphill task persuading, you know, England's football fans that they should be cheering for St. Cuthbert. But what's your case? Well, How are you going to sell well, did, this did, did, to the, to the did great St. George public? Play, did St. George play football? I don't think so. <laughs> Cuthbert did. I think. I think they'd rally, rally behind him. You reckon? Um, the trouble with Cuthbert is the name as well. The name is slightly foppish. I think he's. He's, got this- he's the. F- but he's the opposite of foppish. He's. He's the opposite of foppish. He's. Yeah. He's the first great saint. He's the first great English saint. I mean, he's the greatest English saint. I think. And I guess St George isn't English. And Cuthbert is is the saint of the north, but he's also the saint that gets adopted by the kings of Wessex. So he's he's a properly English saint. Um, his his body has remains there in situ in in Northumbria, and he has a capacity to work miracles that that survived even into the twentieth century. So I got um, it's said that as the Luftwaffe were approaching Newcastle, getting ready to bomb it, that prayers were raised across the northeast. Um, asking for, for Cuthbert's intercession and a great fog descended on the Tyne and wow. the Luftwaffe fog turned around uh, fog on the Tyne and uh, the Luftwaffe turned around and um, Newcastle was saved so wow. I think this is a, this is a, this is a saint who who means business Tom I, my skepticism is at an end I'm <laughs> so fully glad. persuaded I shall go out forthwith on this and Cuthbert's day and attempt to 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 rouse Celebrate. the great British public, or the great English public, anyway, um, in uh, in adopting Cuthbert as our patron saint. So um, that concludes our special Cuthbertian. Is Cuthbertian? Uh, I think so, yeah, coin that. Cuthbertian yeah. edition of The Rest is History. And Tom, we are back next week with a plethora of episodes, aren't we? We've got one on Monday about the World Cup of Prime Ministers. We have another on Tuesday about the World Cup of Prime Ministers. Because we had so much to say. We had so much to say about Britain's Prime Ministers. And then we are back at the end of the week with Spies and Ben McIntyre, which is immensely exciting. So have a good weekend and we'll see you next week. Happy St. Cuthbert's Day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.